Hey everyone, it's me, Josh, and for this week's SYSK Selects, I've chosen our episode on X-rays. It's from December 2014, because what's more Christmassy than discussing electrons changing orbits? I love this one because it's a great example that me and Chuck can do anything we put our minds to. It's just some great bare-knuckle SYSK explaining. So I hope you enjoy our episode, How X-rays Work. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark with Charles W. Chuck Bryan, as always. And there's Jerry over there fiddling around with stuff. So it's Stuff You Should Know, the podcast. Not Stuff You Should Know, the movie. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) You know? We were sworn to secrecy about that. That'd be a good movie. That'd be a bad movie. I don't know, man. It could go either way. I always see, I, I imagine it like Strange Brew. Oh, yeah? Yes. They could uh, They could base it on the stuff you should know, tell all book I'm writing. Oh, yeah? That would be exciting. That would be very exciting. Be I'm looking forward to that book. Like a Lifetime Movie of the Week. Do you like um, switch people's names? Like, am I... Um, Joe. <laughs> Joe Clack. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, uh, it, it's sort of like, uh, like, uh, did you see the Saved by the Bell movie? On oh, yeah, time? didn't Screech write a book? It yeah. was based on a book by Screech, right? Yeah. Wasn't it like all sex and drugs and stuff? Oh, it was, you know, it was a bunch of teenagers in Hollywood, so sure, there was some of that in there. But it was, I didn't read the book, but the movie was bad and... Not nearly as salacious as you wanted it to be. Right. I remember a lot of people being disappointed. And by remember, I mean I recalled it like two weeks ago when people were yeah. talking about it when it came out. It stunk. I'll watch, Emily and I'll watch some of those um, just terrible, terrible biopics occasionally on TV. Mm-hmm. And it's it can be fun. Like uh, we watched the, uh, who was the one uh, actor? Uh, Brittany Murphy. The Brittany Murphy story. <laughs> oh, really? Does she have a heck of a story? Is she alive still or did she die? No, she passed away. Cause, That's right. Uh, under kind of weird circumstances uh, because she and her husband both passed away within weeks of each other. Weird. And there were all these strange claims that her house was poisoned, uh, that they were poisoned. And um, yeah, it was it was fun. <laughs> What's your take on it? <laughs> oh, I don't know. You're the, just the, a, the movie wasn't very good. Who played Brittany Murphy? Do you remember? Um, it was someone, Julie Bowen, wasn't it? No, she's in all of those. <laughs> someone who didn't look very much like Brittany Murphy. Julie uh, Bowen. But I that, was right. <laughs> the Ashton Kutcher guy was pretty good, though. I gotta say, Steve Jobs played him. They should have just gotten Ashton Kutcher to play himself. Yeah. He's not doing much. He's on what Two and a Half Men. I don't know. That's got to require fifteen minutes of work a week. He's selling cameras. Do you remember when that whole two and a half men thing was going down? We were in LA, and for the the one and only time in my entire life, I see John Cryer that day. Oh, during the the Charlie Sheen meltdown, meltdown like the day of the meltdown, like yeah. it happened at night, and within eight hours, I saw John Cryer for the first time in person at a McDonald's. Did you yell Ducky? No, I left him alone. He looked stressed out. Well, yeah, he's probably like my career is going down the tubes, but little did he know he's a survivor. Yeah, his career is just fine. Yep. So x-rays, yeah. <laughs> that's what we're talking about, right? Yep. That Have was ever... the lightest part of this podcast. Yeah, I like this one. This one, it's one of those things where if you can just hang on by your fingernails, it can click and then you lose it again. But that means that it could click again later on. 
that's what I like about it. Good. <laughs> I'll leave that to you. I got lots of other stuff about it. That oh, you do? I, that okay, I good. totally understand. Good, good. Um, so have you ever broken anything and, and needed an x-ray? Or has it all just been dental stuff? You know what, dude? Never broken a bone. Knock you better wood. knock on wood. Yeah. I mean, I've had... Uh, my injuries were always... Um, Stitches. I was always getting busted open. Oh, yeah. Rocks and sprinklers, and I was always getting cut yeah. and sewed back up, but I never broke a bone. That's great. Yeah. Uh, you should probably knock on wood one more time just to be safe. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, all of my x-rays, too, have been, like, just going to the dentist or whatever. You never had a bone broken? I don't want to say, because I, I don't even know if knocking on wood will do it. On laminate Ikea wood? That would just be so <laughs> horribly interesting if both of us broke a bone after this. Yeah, and we're at the age where, like, you should break bones when you're a kid, where you're like, eh, whatever, I get a cast at this age. It's, it's right. a drag. Yeah. Yeah. I remember reading, like, a Tom Clancy novel, and, like, some kid got an arm torn off or whatever, and one of the surgeons was like, if the arm's in the same room as the kid, it can be healed. Right. That doesn't hold true when you're Tom Clancy's age. <laughs> no. So, um... You are familiar with x-rays, so you've seen them before. You've watched ER, surely? Yeah, I mean, I've had x-rays for, like, the dental ones, like you said, and then um, just other various, like, uh, like chest x-rays for sicknesses and things like that, which right. I think may be a little frivolous, to be honest. Yeah, and kind of dangerous, really, Yeah, conceivably. Sure. Which we'll get into later, but um, did you were you familiar with x-rays at all beyond that? Did you know that they were invented or discovered accidentally? Yeah, I did know that. Um, I did not. That's one of the few things I know. I, thought, I saw a little, like, quickie short on some, like, it might have been actually Science Channel. I looked all over. The most I could find was a dude on Siemens um, just describing it in the most flat affect. <laughs> I watched one every single one ever, of his videos. Yeah, I got to five, and five wouldn't load, and I was like, forget this. Yeah, five never loaded for me. I watched the other 14, though, and the whole time I was going, man... These are a minute long. Please join them all together into one six-minute video. I know. It was so weird. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty silly. But he, he was he was good. He was just very dry. Yeah, and they spent zero pennies on um, any kind of soundtrack or anything. Like, yeah. if he grabs papers, you hear papers rustling in the classroom. <laughs> it, it was, uh, it was pretty straightforward. Uh, yes, but that's a very windabout, roundabout way of getting to... Uh, it's discovery in 1895 by a German physicist named Wilhelm uh, Röntgen. Nice. And uh, he was testing whether cathode rays could pass through glass. Mm -hmm. And he saw that the fluorescent screen was glowing uh, when he turned on his electro electron beam, which wasn't a big deal. But he was like, wait, this has got cardboard around it. Right. There shouldn't be any <laughs> visible light escaping. Which is silly to think of now. Well, yeah, it is. But you have to put yourself in his shoes. Like x-rays hadn't sure. been discovered because yeah. he was literally on the verge of discovering them right then. That's right. And uh, yeah, so he was like, this is very curious that this is fluorescing. Yeah. And he noticed other things were glowing. And uh, eventually he started putting other objects uh, between the tube and the screen. They glowed. The screen did, that is. Uh-huh. Finally, he put his hand there. I read his wife's hand. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, he's like, uh, either way. Come in here for a second. Yeah, right. I want you to try something. <laughs> and saw bones uh, projected, and then I guess probably poo pooed his pants and said, Man, I think I'm onto something here. Yeah. And it was really that quickly. Right. He was it, like, immediately the application was clear. It wasn't one of those things where it took 20 years. Right. He's like, Hold on, you can see bones. This could be really helpful. Yes. And he won a Nobel Prize. For very rightfully so. The first one ever for physics 
and he named them X-rays because uh, he didn't know what the heck it was. No, exactly. So it's like kind of signing your name. He you probably. Can't write. I think he assumed that later on, uh, future scientists would fill in the blanks, but they were like, "No, we're cool with X-rays." Well, he probably thought that someone would eventually call it like the Röntgen ray, right. or something. He wasn't much of a self-promoter. No. He was just like, I'll just call him X-rays as a placeholder. Yeah. And he didn't patent any anything. You know, he never, like, made money off no. of it. Uh, and then just a and few years. And his wife had hand cancer <laughs> as a result. Really? No. Oh, I was laughing, but. No, she didn't. That would be very it was, sad. It was just a joke. You can proceed with the okay. laughter. Plus, I've never heard of hand cancer. It's got to be out there. Uh, and then a couple of years later, they were already using it um, in the Balkan War. It was the first time it was really put to practical use to the detect. The uh, first Balkan War? The one I, around I World War One was it? Well, no, eighteen ninety-seven. Oh, that Balkan War. Um, I didn't know that existed until just now. Yeah, and they said we can see bullets and shrapnel and stuff now, um, which is helpful. It is extremely helpful. So, like this guy Röntgen discovers X-rays and their most practical application in one fell swoop, basically. Yep. And a little further study revealed that X-rays are actually just a, another part of the electromagnetic spectrum of which radio waves, microwaves, what we call visible light. Yeah. Um, what else is on there? Uh, well, I've got my handy wallet electromagnetic spectrum card. Yeah. And uh, X-rays fall between gamma rays and ultraviolet rays on that spectrum. Right. Uh, which are all below, well, you say below. I don't know if it's, it's not really an above or below situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, visible light. And then infrared, microwave, and radio waves. So it would be a higher or lower frequency because that's how the whole thing's divided. Yeah. So like the visible spectrum of light consists of electromagnetic radiation that uh, has a frequency, a, a wavelength that our eyes are sensitized to. So we can pick up visible light. That's but right. there's plenty of other stuff on the spectrum of electromagnetic radiation. And all of it is delineated by the frequency, the wavelength. So at the highest end, you have gamma rays that are like... Yeah, that means the squiggly line is very close together. Exactly. And then uh, on the farthest end, you have radio waves that are like... And that means the squiggly line is far apart. Exactly. And that is called Chuck science. <laughs> That's good stuff. Yeah. Put so this back in my wallet. X-ray right next to the, uh, what else you have in there? Uh, I just have my Paps Blue Ribbon membership card, <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> which I actually do. <laughs> do you really? Yeah, but I've had it for like 20 years. Wow. When you, you got it when you were like seven, eight? Yeah, you flatter me. So uh, X-rays fall, I guess we're about in the... Sort of well, bold, yeah, on the higher end, they have a yeah. higher frequency as far as the electromagnetic spectrum goes. But the point is, is that it is ultimately the same thing. It's a, it's a type of electromagnetic energy that is carried on a photon, which is a particle of what we would call light. Yeah, and we've talked about photons aplenty in the show. And uh, the same, like, photons produce the visible light that we can see. Mm-hmm. Photons blast out from the sun. Uh, how long does it take? Like It takes like 100,000 years to get from the core to the surface and then like eight minutes to get from the surface to Earth. That's right. Man, that's, I love that fact. So this is the only part I understand, so I'll lead with it. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to imagine um, an atom, a nucleus of an atom, and rings around that atom. Atom? That's, that's a new word. An atom as orbitals. Uh, when an electron drops to a lower orbital... Mm-hmm. It releases energy. 
in the form of a photon. And the electron will always drop to the lower orbital. That's right. So, like, if an orbital is, if an electron is kicked off of a lower orbital, an electron in the higher orbital goes yeah and drops down to that one. Yes, and depending on how far it drops, it's going to determine the energy level of that photon. That it's that it releases its energy when it drops, right? Yeah, because it doesn't have to you know drop more than one orbital. Right. It can skip down. I don't even know how far, but a long way. Yeah, it can. And like you said, the the greater the distance between the two orbitals or the greater the energy differential, the greater the energy that photon, when released, will have, right? That's right. And as we said, photons are the energy carriers of the electromagnetic spectrum, and depending on that energy or the frequency, the wavelength of that photon, that determines what kind of photon it is, right? Whether it's a radio photon yeah. or a, an X-ray photon or a photon that we can see that's in the visible spectrum. That's right. Uh, sometimes when these photons are flying around, they will collide with other atoms, and sometimes those atoms absorb that photon's energy and then kick it up to that higher level again. Right, but it has to be, from what I understand, and I saw that there's like, of course, it's science, so there's like in, in, atomic science, so there's little exceptions to this and that. Sure. But from what I could see, Chuck, there is the energy of that photon has to exactly match the energy differential between one orbital and another on an atom yeah. so that it can kick it up, so that it hits that one electron in the lower orbital, kicks it up to the higher orbital, and thus transfers its energy, which means that atom just absorbed that energy that that photon was carrying, right? That's right. But if it's a little less, it's not going to have the energy to kick that electron up, which makes sense to me, right? Yeah. But if it's a little more... This is what doesn't make sense to me. It, it doesn't kick the electron up and then the photon carries on in a diminished energetic state. It just doesn't do anything. It doesn't interact with that. It has to be, exact. say, like a, the energy differential between orbits is eight. Yeah. So a photon has to have an energy of eight or else it's not going to do anything with that atom. That's right. Okay. Uh, and so depending on the... Um, well, let's say you have a radio wave. They don't have very much energy, so they can't move electrons between these orbitals. They just pass through things. X-rays are super powerful. Right. There's lots of energy, so they can pass through things, which is key if you want to check out your bones from outside of your body. It is. Back, Chuck, and you tantalized everybody by saying that this this difference in absorption is what produces X-rays, right? Was that tantalizing? I was tantalized. Okay, and I even know what's coming. <laughs> All right, that's how excited I am about X-rays. Good. So uh, consider this: like different atoms mm -hmm. have different uh, atomic weights. Yeah, they have different densities. They're just different. Like different atoms are different, and. Atoms also have what are called differences in radiological density. Right. Okay. So a really high energy, high atomic weight, very dense atom is going to be able to absorb a lot of energy. Smaller atoms that maybe are looser and have a lower atomic weight are going to get kicked around by any old uh, photon that wants to come along. 
Yeah, and that's that's key. Like I said, if you want to see bones, because your soft tissue, if you've ever noticed when you have an X-ray, mm-hmm. you'll see the bones, but you know the rest is just sort of a grayish black mess. Exactly. Uh, because your soft tissue has smaller atoms, your bones, uh, calcium atoms are much larger, so they're going to ab- absorb those X-ray photons. That's exactly right. They do it really well. Exactly. So um, imagine you have, uh, let's say, Chuck. Let's go back and hang out with Tuck Tuck, right? Oh, man. Let's get back in the Wayback Machine. It's been a while. Okay. Look at him over there. So here we are in France in Mm -hmm. this cave. Um, Tuck Tuck has his hand up against the cave wall, as you'll see. Yeah. And in his other hand, he's got that little straw filled with um, pigment, red pigment. He's blowing it on his hand, right? Sure. And now that he moves his hand away, there's the outline of his hand. Like a, it's called a stencil, right? Exactly. He's yeah. just made an early stencil. He's sure. like a, a Banksy, basically. Yeah. Like a caveman Banksy. <laughs> but if you look at the back of Tuk Tuk's hand, don't get too close, but look at the back of his hand. Yeah. It's covered in red pigment, right? Yeah. So if you, you want to equate this to an x-ray, the hand absorbed... All of that pigment. Right. And the stuff that passed through left the picture on the cave wall. That's kind of what happens with an X-ray, except with an X-ray photograph, the X-ray photons are absorbed by the denser calcium-rich bones. Yes. And they pass through the softer tissue. So the picture that we have is the outline, the silhouette of the bones because the X-rays made it through the tissue didn't make it through the bones. They made it through the tissue and onto the x-ray plate, which absorbed the picture in negative. That's right. And I'm glad you said picture because that's all it is. On the other side of the human being, you know, that they're shooting the x-ray at, there's a camera. Mm-hmm. And you're just going to get a regular negative, And they could make it a positive, but they leave it as a negative because you really don't need the positive image. Right. Uh, and that's what they'll put on that little screen to show you your cracked femur. Exactly, and they can see the crack because some of those x-rays will make it through the gap. That's right. Right? So all you're seeing is the result of x-rays that made it through the tissue were absorbed by the bone, so those don't make it to the plate. The ones that make it to the plate cause the chemical reaction that gives you your negative, your x-ray. And it's, it's pretty simple, really, like if you think about it, at least in principle. It's also extraordinarily difficult to conceive of but if you if you understand like the principle behind it, it, it makes uttering complete sense. Yeah, and it's a pretty focused uh, shot that they're using there. It's not like they don't fill the entire room with X-rays. You know, they've got a, a thick lead shield around the whole device, and it you know contain, contains everything. And it's got a little small window that's just going to let that narrow beam pass through uh, through a series of filters and basically hit you wherever they want to hit you. Yeah, and the reason that the they use lead is because lead is an extremely dense uh, element. Uh, yeah, element, yes. <laughs> right? Sure. Oh, God, I hope so. <laughs> with, a, with a very high atomic number, which means it can absorb tons of energy, right? Yeah, that's why you're going to wear a lead apron um, yeah. if you're not, you know, if you're getting your skull 
done, you're probably going to wear an apron on your chest, let's say. Sure. So you're, you're, So this lead is being bombarded with X-ray photons and electrons, and it's just taking it. It's fine. And it's not being able to, it's not able to pass through because it doesn't have high enough energy. Um, but yes, they, when they put that little window in the X-ray generating machine, yeah. it passes right through there in a concentrated beam. And Chuck, let's talk about the machine, right? So, and, and this is basically what we use as X-ray machines is essentially what uh, Rutgen was make, what made, was experimenting with when he accidentally discovered them. Because if you look for X-rays, like they're, they propagate naturally. But I think like 20% of the X-rays on Earth come from humans. Oh, really? Yeah, like we generate a lot of X-rays. They don't, they don't come, like you don't find them normally on Earth. They're coming from outer space to us. Okay. Hence X-ray astronomy. But the ones here on Earth that are generated on Earth, they don't, it's not like rocks put out X-rays or something like that. Right. We do. We humans, humans <laughs> do. Humans and lead aprons put out X-rays. And they use this machine like Röntgen made. Yeah. Uh, what you have in the machine, you have an electrode pair, uh, a cathode and an anode, and that's inside a good old-fashioned glass vacuum tube. Right. Which um, it's amazing how vacuum tubes are still like the best way to do many of these things. Well, it, it allows things to travel at the speed of light easily. That's right. And it allows guitar amps to sound great. I didn't know these vacuums and that. Oh, is that a cathode tube? Yeah. Yeah, like a, a like. The best amps are still made with vacuum tubes. You can nice. get solid-state amps, but they're just the sound isn't as rich. So it's kind of like this old technology that's still superior. Right. They're yeah. all pumped out by hand by a 90-year-old man <laughs> in Tennessee. Mr. Marshall. Yes. No. Uh, so the cathode is a heated filament just like you might see in a light bulb. Mm-hmm. And the machine's uh, going to pass a current through that and heat that thing up, and then it's going to spit electrons off that surface and uh, it's going to hit a disc made of tungsten, and it's going to draw those across a tube. It's basically the tube is sort of the key piece. Right, because you've got the uh, positive and the, an- uh, the um, negative charge, the cathode and the anode, right? Yeah. Um, and that difference, that electrical charge, draws those electrons down to the anode. Yeah, with a lot of force. Yeah, and that force means that when those electrons hit the tungsten anode, it knocks a bunch of electrons off, creates a bunch of X-rays in the process, and um, you have a whole box filled with X-ray radiation. <laughs> a box full of X-rays. That's exactly what it is. Like yeah. you're just—I mean, there there might as well be like a foot crank to this thing, like an old sewing machine, for as, as technologically advanced as it is. There may be, for all I know. I don't know what goes on in that other room. Right? Yeah. You know. True. <laughs> There's some dude in there with, like, his right leg is three times more muscular than his left leg because that's the only one he uses. So um, in addition, like I said, to to X-rays being created, the the other X-rays, other photons can go on and knock more electrons off. So you you have what's like a process of chain reaction starting, right? It's not like one gets hit and then that's it and a photon's created and it just hangs around until it's beamed out. Like you're just generating this huge amount of X-rays and the X-rays are also continuing to propagate themselves because they're knocking more electrons free. And the more free electrons you have, the more interactions you have, right? Right. So one of the ways that more electrons can be knocked off you don't even need a direct transfer of energy where a photon is absorbed or knocks an electron from one orbit to another or knocks it loose entirely. A photon actually has this really cool um, capability of 
just orbiting close by the nucleus of an atom. And when the nucleus basically draws it into its orbit, the photon just takes a hard left turn. Yeah, it just bumps it off its course. But even, like, the Dodge Viper has to, like, slow down to take a left turn. Slow a little bit, right? Just a little. Just a little. Yeah. <laughs> but that little bit in the photon world means a transfer of energy from the photon outward. Yeah, as and an then, X-ray. Yeah, and then the photon, like, the photon takes that left turn and, and the energy is transferred to the atom. Yeah, and one of the byproducts, uh, if this sounds like it's going to create a lot of heat, it's because it will. And in order to combat this, they rotate this anode to keep it. It would just melt down if right. you kept it in place. Yeah. And apparently there's an, uh, a cool oil bath uh, that helps absorb heat as well, which right. I never have heard of that either. It sounds oily. A cool oil bath? Yeah, it doesn't sound refreshing at all. It sounds like the opposite of refreshing. Yeah, cool and oil don't really go together. No. Yeah. And I misspoke. That's an electron that can be drawn to in to the nucleus of an atom appropriately enough because they orbit nuclei anyway right but it doesn't have to hook uh, hook up with that atom it, when it takes that hard left it emits the photon like you said that's right and uh, like I said earlier there's a camera on the other side of the patient and it's re- gonna record that pattern of light uh, when it passes through the body and it's not so different from a regular camera um, and in the end, you're just going to get a picture, like I said, a negative image. Yeah, and if you hook it up with a computer that allows you to take x-rays basically in slices, you can come up with commu- computerized tomography. Yeah, you, uh, a.k.a. CT. Right. A CT scan. Exactly. Um, if, you, uh, if, you use, if you get a breast exam, you're using a type of x-ray called mammography. Yep. Um, and then there's a fluoroscopy which uh, the man in the extraordinarily dry presentation from Siemens said um, was basically like moving picture It's like video. a movie. Exactly. And then yeah. he, he showed us what a, a movie is with a flip book, right? <laughs> that old flip book trick. And if you listen to this podcast, I'm sorry. I, I just want to apologize for both of us, Siemens guy. Oh, yeah. Uh, like, hats off to you for doing that at all. Yeah. Because um, he's probably saying, well, at least I was correct in everything I said. <laughs> exactly. It's <laughs> a good point, sir. Um, but with fluoroscopy, it's basically like a movie of uh, an x-ray movie. And you would do this to make sure like a heart is beating correctly because you wanted to see it. But you have to have an additional um, instrument because as we've said, x-rays will pass through tissue like heart tissue and muscle tissue and all and, and blood vessels and all the stuff you want to get pictures of using an x-ray. So you have to use something called a contrast media for it. Yeah, um, a contrast agent is basically more dense than the soft tissue. So if you want to, uh, let's say, swallow, it's usually like a barium compound. Mm-hmm. And if you want to examine like your blood vessels or your circulatory system, uh, you're, sometimes they can inject that or you might drink it to see if you're doing like a gastrointestinal, right. like a GI tract. Yeah. You're going to swallow that stuff, yeah. which I've never had to do. I think my dad had to do that. Yeah. I don't think it's super pleasant. I get the impression not to. But, but um, my dad did as well. Yeah. It's an old guy thing. Yeah. <laughs> so I should be getting one soon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then it allows you, you know, to see a moving image, uh, basically how that liquid is, if there's any blockage. Uh, there's all sorts of applications for it. Yeah, because you're, that liquid has a, uh, a high radiological density, 
which means that the x-rays don't just pass right through your, the, the tissue that it's being suspended in, like your blood vessels. It, it absorbs it for it. So you get a picture of your blood vessels, your circulatory system, which is pretty cool. It's pretty clever. It's also extraordinarily elementary in principle. My That's dear, right, my dear Watson. Uh, and that single picture, I think we, you know, we mentioned CT and, and mammography and all that and fluoroscopy, but the single picture is just called standard radiography, and that's when you're, you know, taking a photo of your skull, right, or your lungs, or your bones, or your teeth. And so, so speaking of the lead apron thing, man, it's always made me kind of nervous. Like, if I, if the rest of my body has to wear a lead apron, but you're shooting an X-ray into my head, am I going to be okay? Well. We'll answer that right after this message. Okay. All right, x-rays, are they bad for you? Uh, the answer is yes, <laughs> uh, pretty unequivocally. Um, but like all things, it's it's in moderation is the key. Sure. Uh, in the 1930s and 40s and into the 50s, they had X-ray machines at shoe stores. So oh yeah, they could X-ray that. your feet to get a better fit. <laughs> and um, they didn't realize at the time that they were X-raying people way way too much. Yeah, talkative kids in class, they just shoot them with an X-ray and would they? No. No. They Man, probably did. I've got you like twice today. Well, no, I believe that. Like, hey, let's look at his brain. There may be a, a mouse <laughs> running around inside of it. Yeah. Um, People in the 30s were dumb. Well, it's basically radiation sickness. Um, it's a form of ionization or ionizing radiation. Right. So what can happen, like if just normal light hits an atom, it's no big deal. Uh, but when an X-ray hits an atom, it knocks uh, electrons off of it, creates an ion, uh, which is an electrically charged atom, mm -hmm. and... Basically, anything from uh, cellular death to mutation can happen at that point. Yeah. And mutation can spread, and it can cause cancer. Right, because stable atoms are neutral, right? Because they have an equal number of protons and electrons. You lose an electron, all of a sudden you have a positively charged ion. Yeah. And that negatively charged electron running around, and it, it just causes trouble. And you said light, visible light, can be absorbed and it's no big deal yeah. because visible light is uh, exists on a wavelength that's about in tune with the soft tissues of our body, right? So we know how to absorb it and it makes us tan and that's cool, right? <laughs> but um, with these ionized atoms, these positively charged atoms like going around in your body, it, it, it can cause a lot of problems like mutations, like cancer, right? Yeah, I mean, if you break that DNA chain, that's not good. No, it for isn't. Your cells. And one of the results is the, D, the DNA can basically lose its ability to regulate itself, and it, the cell replicates more frequently than it should, and all of a sudden you have a tumor on your hands, and that can spread. It can also be a problem if that DNA break occurs in utero because then that can lead to birth defects. Yeah, sure. Which is why pregnant women shouldn't get x-rays. Yeah. Um, and it can also just lead to plain old cellular death. Yeah. If you have cellular death, then the tissues that um, are made up by those cells break down and uh, you have a problem on your hands with that as well. So here's the deal. Uh, we get exposed to radiation every day just walking around on the planet. Yeah. Um, it depends on where you live, but every year um, the average person is going to be exposed to anywhere from one to four. Uh, it's measured in millisieverts per mm -hmm. year. Um, like I said, depending on where you are. I think in higher elevations it's less than at sea level. 
So if you live in Denver, Colorado, you're going to be exposed to less. Well, yeah, because like you're, Death Valley. you're higher up in the atmosphere, and that makes a difference. Exactly. You have less protection, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, what they, what they want to do, medically speaking, they want to use, or they're supposed to use, the minimum amount to achieve the pictures you need. It's not like the old days where they just like, let's do 20 x-rays. Yeah. <laughs> like, let's do the minimum amount we need to get the information that we need. Uh, a CT scan can can get your, you know, you lay down in the tube and it rotates around you and your whole body can be photographed in less than five seconds these mm-hmm. days. Nice. But, um, you know, there are concerns if you get too many x-rays still. Uh, like a dental panorama, I think, what did I say, one to four millisieverts per year. Dental, and, it's, and it's cumulative too. You should say, yeah. like it's not. It's not like you get one and then, uh, you know, eight months later you get another one and that first one went away. Sure. Like it accumulates over the course of a year. Yeah. So here's just a few examples of how much radiation you're being exposed to with X-rays. Um, a dental panorama is going to be 0. 0.01 millisieverts, so not very much. Um, like two chest X-rays might be 0. 0.1. Uh, mammogram is around 0. 0.4. Uh, your pelvis, 0. 0.6. Uh, your back, upper back, maybe 1.0. Uh, I wonder is, why. Because there's so much d- bone there? Maybe. Yeah, maybe you have to do with exposure to... Uh, yeah, that makes sense. I, I got a ton of bone in my upper back. <laughs> uh, a full CT scan, it depends on what you are... Um, it depends on what you're x-raying, but a CT scan is obviously more like an abdominal or pelvis CT, and, uh, CT scan could be as many as 10 millisieverts. Yeah. So that's like up to two or three years worth of radiation in a single CT scan, Yeah. which can be problematic, which is why they don't say get in the CT machine like every other week. Right. Um, but, you know, some of the reasons you might, uh, if you had a traumatic injury, they're going to X-ray you. Uh, a lot of times for disease confirmation, they'll use an X-ray machine. Uh, during surgery as a visual guide, like if you do endoscopic surgery, mm-hmm. the surgeon actually needs to look at something. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it was x-ray uh, for that. Or to monitor your healing process, um, you know, when you break a bone, it's not just that first x-ray. Right. You're going to keep getting them to see how you're healing up. This or, is right out of the Siemens video, huh? No. It isn't? Uh-uh. Oh, okay. I don't think so. I mean, I looked at so much stuff. It all runs together. <laughs> yeah. I call I mean, it cumulative research. So... uh I did a brain stuff on sieverts and how many we can take. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's it's kind of like, it's a little alarming. Sure. How much radiation we're exposed to. People who fly a lot, too, are exposed to tons of radiation because you're, again, higher up in the atmosphere, so you're yeah. less protected by the atmosphere. Uh, speaking of flying, of course, uh, baggage uh, that is x-rayed. Uh, the food industry uses x-rays a lot. Um, archaeologists use it if they don't want to, yeah. like, destroy an object and they want to see what's inside. Or earth sciences, they'll use x-rays for rocks to see what kind of mineral composition. So there's all sorts of applications. It's not just medical. Um, space. Yeah. X-ray telescopes out on uh, on satellites. Yeah. Apparently you can see a lot. Um, you can see things you can't detect from an earthbound telescope because uh, x-rays are absorbed by our atmosphere. So you can't, like, shoot it into space like that. So this article makes a pretty good point, if you ask me. It says, like, yes... X-rays are uh, like are bad for you, and you should use them with care and caution. And one one good point is to always ask if there's an alternative to an X-ray, 
just to basically say, hey, doc or dentist, slow your roll. Yeah. Let's, is there another way we can get this information without an x-ray? I know it's the easiest, but what are the alternatives? But then the article makes the point, like, it's still safer than the ultimate alternative, the thing that x-rays replaced, which was exploratory surgery. Yeah. Back in the day, if they thought you had cancer, they would cut you open and see. Yeah. And uh, this is definitely better than that. Yeah. Or broken bone. Imagine getting that arm cut open just to see how how it's doing. They're like, nope, it's not broken. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) And we haven't invented anesthetic yet, so jokes on you. Good luck with your dentist, by the way, because I always get the feeling that the dentists are like, no, your insurance allows us to bill for so many per year. So that's how many you're going to get. These x-rays are putting my kid through college. Yeah. Uh, You got anything else on x-rays? No. That was a fine amount of stuff. I'm feeling good about it. You feel good about this one? Sure. I do too. Yeah. Uh, If you want to know more about x-rays, you can check out this uh, really informative article on HowStuffWorks.com. It's got some great diagrams that explain a lot of the stuff we were saying visually. Uh, And you can type x-ray into the search bar at HowStuffWorks and it'll bring that up. Since I said search bar, it's time for listener mail. Uh, This is from my buddy Poppy in Vancouver. Uh, Stuff you should know, listener, that I met while I was there. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, Poppy has this to say. He's got a pretty cool job. Uh, He listened to the PTSD show and wanted to write in about another option that he works with. Uh, He's a registered acupuncturist in Vancouver with special training in trauma and addictions. Uh, He has a program called Neurotrophic Stimulation Therapy, uh, NTST, and a large part of the program uses ear acupuncture and electroacupuncture to promote neuroplasticity in the brain. He says you can't necessarily directly fix the brain, but you can stimulate the ear nerves and will help the brain re-regulate certain functionality so it can heal itself. Uh, he's been treating trauma and PTSD patients for several years, and the evidence for his efficacy is high. Uh, it can be done with acupuncture needles alone or in combination with a mild electrical stimulation. Um, remember we talked about... Um, Transcranial electromagnetic stimulation? Yeah, transdermal cranial stimulation. He says... That's one of the things that he's also using to treat PTSD, which is pretty cool. Wow. Uh, And he said it makes cognitive behavioral therapies so much easier to introduce because it promotes neuroplasticity and the results help a PTSD sufferer to be more open to and able to receive positive social programming. Hmm. So he has a program we want to uh, promote. If you want to see all the components in action in his program, you can visit Last Door Recovery Society at lastdoor.org slash NTST or... You can donate funds to help purchase a brain scanner so that they can scientifically measure the results of the program, which would really help show the validity of the therapies. And if you're interested in helping out Poppy's cause there, because he's really big on treating uh, veterans in Canada and the U.S., mm-hmm. um, I shortened his little URL to uh, bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash 11YNLOQ. And that is from Poppy. And he says, namaste. Thanks a lot, Poppy. Is it Poppy with a O? P-O-P-P-I. Nice. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can tweet to us at S-Y-S-K podcast. You can join us on facebook.com slash stuff you should know. You can send us an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. That's right. Uh, and as always, join us at our home on the web, stuffyoushouldknow.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.